you see that model with Jesus. Like he came down and he came into our stuff, into our pain, not just sin, but came into our pain and took it all on. And so I think that if we're to model Christ in the way that we do missions, it's like we have to take it all on and be humble in that process. And so I would say when it comes to ministry strategy, philosophy, I would still say, please slow it down and make sure if you're ever going to try to reach a certain people group, you have that people group represented in those discussions and decisions. Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Listener continues celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month by featuring Matthew Melendrez, who splits time between the Athletes in Action, Lenses executive team, and Cruz Campus Ministry. Enjoy the show. You replied to one of the comments in the thread on Workplace and said, I'm glad our people of color community is way more connected. Mm-hmm. How has the crew people of color community gotten more connected? Well, one of the ways I personally have been connected has been through lenses. And so when I went to my first lenses, it was, I described it as finding a well I didn't know existed, but really needed. And so, and it was not just lenses, but the people. And so, because being in the campus ministry and being just the geography I'm in, there's not a lot of staff of color and, and so I didn't have that support three years ago. I was very, very isolated and very, yeah, very lonely in this battle. I mean, so, so much so that I even called my sister one day, uh, probably about four months after the election when these things were being said. And I just, I just called her one day and I just, I just asked her, am, am I crazy? Am I just making all this up because no one's tripping about this? And, and I just, I, it was a legit question because I just felt so isolated and shut out by so many people or people didn't know what to say. So there was silence, which silence does communicate a lot. And so that's kind of, that was a very hard time. So over the last three years, the, through lenses and through other venues and just meeting through lenses, meeting so many other people were way more connected and so even just my Lenses family, at Crew 19, there was a people of color group me with about, I think, 280 people on it. <laughs> and it was awesome. Every day there was probably 600 messages. But it just really felt like we were connected. Even people I didn't know, I'm seeing the way that they're experiencing the conference or experiencing certain things. And we even had a people of color racial trauma Session during Crew 19. So even just to be in a room with 150, I think, people of color on staff, where we we're all trying to struggle through the the parts of our system that are not made for us. And so yeah, it's been a lot of these people, a lot of the staff of color who commented on this thread are people I did not know. Almost all of them I did not know three years ago. Milton, Wendy. Nelly, so many others. I met them all in the last two years. And so it's been almost instant brother sisterhood. And, and it, and there's just such a, it makes me feel I can stay on staff much longer and talking to a lot of my friends of color over the last two weeks has just been one of the most life-giving things. Honestly, as I going to crew 19 was one of the most exciting, I haven't been that excited to go to Colorado in years 
because that that group me had started in the beginning of summer for everybody who was there in the beginning. And I had popped in and out to speak at something and got on it. And so I was having major FOMO for two weeks, seeing every night everybody having dinner. And and so I was very excited to get to Crew 19 just so I could hang out with all my friends of color. And it's mm-hmm. also just like there's a... One of the things that's refreshing is that a lot of times when my white brothers and sisters do care and do have a learning posture, I love that, but there's still times, let's say, I experience... And over the years, there have been different people within crew have said some pretty hard and sometimes racist things. And so when I try to confide in someone, they don't understand why it's racist. So then I have to kind of teach them why it's racist. And then it kind of turns the pain and trauma, microaggressions to the person who needs to learn. And so I think what's really great about being in those circles of people of color is I don't have to give context. I can really let my guard down and I can say, hey, this was sad and I don't have to give any, any context. And so I think that's kind of kind of one of the things that has been most comforting is just being known in that kind of way. I want to circle back to Crew 19 because I really loved it too. Sandra was the highlight for me. And I found myself saying exactly what you said. I am so proud of Crew after Crew 19 because one of the main reasons I felt so proud is because they would put Sandra on Connection Weekend that she would be speaking to not just staff, but to all of the people that we invited in. And I know you said, hey, let's do this again, where we invite in even more people so that they can all hear this message. So the moment, and I know Sandra personally, and so I I had just gone on a pilgrimage with her a month before Crew 19. And so it was cool to kind of just be with her. And we actually went over uh, the border to Tijuana and kind of were in refugee camps. And so... I was with her the whole day and on that day, and, and it was just really cool to kind of hear her heart. See, she has such a beautiful heart for for evangelism and discipleship and for the kingdom. And so I was so excited to hear her speak. And as soon as she kind of went there on on a lot of levels, not just racism, but immigration, uh, gender, how we did evangelism 20 years ago, I was just I was shocked, of, but also just very much just impressed with her posture. She was so scripturally led. She was very much putting herself in the ways that she's trying to undo, just having a very selfish faith. And I got to hang out with her the the two days after, and she even was uh, just surprised of what came out. She didn't, she didn't plan on all those things, but she just felt the Holy Spirit leading her. And I really trust her, and it wasn't just to point the finger at anyone. You got to go on a pilgrimage with Sandra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Goals, Matthew. <laughs> Can we transition and just hear a little bit more about you and your story? Because now I'm trying to, to connect a couple dots. You said that there was a shooting near your, your hometown, but did you mean El Paso or um, Gilroy? Gilroy. Okay, so tell us, what was it like growing up in a Mexican family near Gilroy? Yeah, so a little bit more even back. My So my parents were, they, I wish that the podcast can show a picture of my parents, but. 
I'll show I can, you. <laughs> well, if you email it to me, I'll make that happen. So I'm not sure if you can see this very well. Mm-hmm. So those are my parents. Yeah. They they marched a lot in the Chicano movements in the 70s. And so I'm just very proud of the parents I come from, a family who come from agricultural fields, who my all my grandparents, uh, they immigrated here and they worked in the fields. And that was kind of just the lineage of that we were brought up in. My grandmas who woke up at 4 a.m. to take care of nine kids and to work sun up to sundown in really harsh environments six days a week. And my parents were people who fought for the rights of Chicanos to have equal pay and to, and so that's just the family I come from. And that valley, Salinas Valley is a very racially segregated community. Uh, Salinas is pretty much half white, half uh, Mexican or half Latino. And so just kind of growing up there is this very clear divide uh, and, and kind of the more to the coast you go, the more the wealth and resources. And for example, there's schools just 20 minutes from where our house is that uh, Pebble Beach, Carmel, that are some of the most expensive schools in the nation. And then we're in Salinas where we have a lot of uh, educational crisis going on. And so just I kind of grew up in this segregational community. And what was interesting that kind of created a dynamic that was unique in that was I was one of the, I was pretty much the first Christian in my whole family. And mind you, I have, so under my four grandparents, there's about 180 of us. Both my parents have 10 brothers and sisters. And so to be one of the first Christian, I never knew, and it was about when I was 17 or 18, I didn't see because it was through another uh, parachurch uh, fellowship of the Christian athletes. So I got involved. That's how I first discovered, heard the gospel for the first time and started walking with the Lord and then got involved with the church and then got involved with crew. So the three places uh, that I understood faith were all predominantly white. And so I didn't know how, what I didn't, and at that time there was no language of, of being image bearers of God and, and God has created me a certain way. And so I always felt that my faith and my culture were two separate things. And so I think throughout, it almost felt these two different lives kind of running parallel to each other. And I would say, honestly, it wasn't until I got married about two years ago or a year and a half ago where I realized how much I code switched, how I realized how much I was assimilating in one and I was a whole different person in the other because no one got to experience me in both settings. And so it was just a very, I think, even for me, a lot of learning how much I do that, realizing how much I have adopted uh, kind of theology and practices of faith and ministry from white culture. And and so I think for me, I've even been on this journey the last two years of what does my faith and my who I am as an image bearer intersect because that hasn't ever been taught. And so I think even in my experience in crew, it just seems like a lot of policies, ministry strategies, approaches to things, uh, MPD things all reflect white culture. And so even when we I joined staff and the policy 10 years ago was move home to raise your support, I, I didn't have any, I, I didn't have any Christian community. I didn't have really a home church. And so it just felt like, wait, but I'm doing something wrong. And that was when we would say thing that that was when crew would say that those who don't make support is kind of one of ways of God's way of weeding out those who are actually called. I really felt called to be a part of this organization. 
And still, after 10 years, I, st- I think I maybe have two supporters from my hometown. And so I just think it was just interesting because I would go back into that community and just have this disconnect of, I'm trying to raise all this money in a place that has no context for crew and has it's not a very churched area. And I don't know many Latinos who are in ministry. And, and so even that, for example, one of the things that I've grieved a lot the last two years is I don't know one older Mexican male who's Christian anywhere. And, and so I think just through so many parts of life, MPD, engagement, getting married, uh, just all these different things, I never had that modeled for me. And I never had people to confide in that understood me. My mom has had been battling really aggressive cancer the last five years. So even how we suffer is different and how that suffering meets cruise policies and how that works out. And so I think that there has been a big disconnect in the practicing of my faith within crew and my hometown and my family and and really wanting to see my family. And what's been amazing is that over the last 10 years, um, pretty much my entire immediate family has all come to know the Lord. And there was a season they were all going to church together and all that. But now none of my family members want to go to any sort of evangelical church because of what's happening. And so I think that what's hard is that it's, there's not, I, I get sad that my family's not able to grow in discipleship because very understandably, and I'm in the same boat, it's like, I don't want to go to an all white church right now because I don't know where they stand on these things. And really it's at a point, unless there's actual accessible ways that you can see a church speaking out and doing anti-racism work, I don't feel comfortable in that. We don't feel comfortable in that. So I think that the segregation now mixed with all of us being of faith, it's a very unique combination that we're trying to navigate as a family. Well, Matthew, one thing that I think it was Sandra who said this, I have this written down by near her name. So she was talking about how important it is to find ways to be involved and continue learning in these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I hesitate to ask you that because I know, for instance, with lenses, the tagline or the motto is see, understand, act. And so um, even at Crew 15, I remember, you know, my white colleagues and I like, okay, well, what do you want us to do? There's racism, you know, like, let's fix it. Let's work on this together. And that wasn't what was needed in that moment. And so I think I've backed off and realized, okay, I need to see and I need to understand before I act. But there is a time for action, isn't there? And there, you know, I've, crew's been on this journey since, well, for the majority culture staff, a lot of us only since crew 15. But that's yep. that's mm-hmm. a while. And a lot of us have been through mm-hmm. lenses and we've read Wide Awake and we've read Divided by Faith and we've listened to staff who are people of color share the narrative of their life with us and what it's like to have Matthew's lenses and other colleagues of ours. So I think we are at the point where we're asking, what, how can we be involved? I think when people and I myself have said, I think we, there, we can be, con, I can be confusing when I say, don't act too quick. And then I'm like, well, act. I think when it comes to things like, let's say ministry strategy, 
ministry philosophy? How do we reach Latinos? How do we reach black community? Those are the types of conversations that I believe need to not be fast-tracked. And I think that a lot of times our ministry strategies are so propelled so quickly of efficiency, effectiveness, and all those things. And I would say those are the types of things that need to slow down and make sure that you have the right people in the room, make sure that you're learning history. One thing I've even spoken at different stint extract things has been, you know, if you say you have a heart for fill in the blank for, let's say, Latinos, to learn the oppression that they've experienced, to learn maybe whatever con- the, the dynamic between that country and the U.S., to learn about the deep pain and before you go reach them, reach us. And I, I just tell people, if you can't stomach the hard, bloody history of that people group, I really doubt you have a heart for those people. And because it's like you see that model with Jesus, like he came down and he came into our stuff, into our pain, not just sin, but came into our pain and took it all on. And so I think that if we're to model Christ in the way that we do missions, it's like we have to take it all on and be humble in that process. And so I would say when it comes to ministry strategy, philosophy, I would still say, please slow it down and make sure if you're ever going to try to reach a certain people group, you have that people group represented in those discussions and decisions. 